Hi everyone, welcome back. My name is Francisco. I work as head of content at Doc. I'm joined today by Elena Kaduri, CEO at Doc, and Nick Lambert, CEO at Doc. How are you? Doing well. How are you? I'm good, Francisco. So you two have been leading a Web3 company for a few years now, and there are several things I'm really curious to ask you. For example, how is a Web3 company different from other companies? What are the challenges of managing one? What is a DAO? What can Web2 companies learn from Web3 companies? But before we dive into it, uh, I want to start with the beginning. What is Web3? Well, I can pick that one up, Francisco. So I think to understand Web3, we need to go on a very short journey to understand well, what was Web 1 and what was Web 2 as well. And then we can start to understand what Web 3 is. Um, and basically Web 3, sorry, Web 1 was the first version or the first kind of evolution um, of the internet. Um, and with that, there was really only a few content creators creating static web pages. Um, so, so, you know, publishers would go on, create content and that um, people browsing the web would just effectively consume uh, that data. Um, and interestingly, around that time, we probably, most of us don't remember that. And certainly, of course, I'm way too young to remember all that stuff. I say joking. Um, there was no advertisements really allowed in Web 1 either, which is quite a different situation to what we have today. Uh, and effectively, Web 1 was a kind, of, a kind of static content delivery network where content was published and, and everyone just consumed it. Then we moved into uh, Web 2 where that was basically what we have today, um, kind of um, encourages lot, lots more user-generated content. Um, so instead of kind of publishers just putting stuff up there, um, we as users are now interacting it. So we're, we're looking at kind of social media sites, we're commenting on posts, we're uploading YouTube videos, we're kind of voting, upvoting and downvoting, things like that. Um, and, um, um, it's a much open to a much kind of wider variety of users than, than what we saw with Web One. Um, we're also seeing things like podcasts, like like we're doing today, um, kind of tagging, uh, you know, RSS feeds and things like that. And um, so that was kind of really what defines Web Two. And like I say, that that's the, the status quo basically. And then what we're moving to with Web Three, and we're kind of evolving into that um, as we discuss this, is um, it refers to the web where um, it's much more about the individual. Uh, so web one was a lot more about kind of companies and publishers. Web two was a lot more about maybe building communities. And web three is kind of returning that control and that interest back to the user. Um, so the user will maybe start to have, or what we envision or hope for, is the user will start to have more control over their content. So they're owning their content um, they're owning their some, sometimes identity, which is obviously relevant to, to what Doc are doing. Um, and then they're potentially controlling who has access to that. Um, whereas opposed to the status quo today, where large companies effectively give us access to their systems and basically control our data. And they afford us management or, or sorry, they afford us access to our own data effectively. Um, and so with Web3, it comes a few other things as well. So we're starting to see kind of artificial intelligence come in. We're starting to see things like the semantic web uh, being used, which is kind of a way of uh, linking data where the kind of meaning of data is linked together rather than just using the kind of keywords and numbers that we've used with previous iterations. 
Um, and then this type of data can be reused across all applications. Um, so that's really what the, the kind of differences between web one, web two, and web three are. So much more user-centric um, um, tools uh, that, that we can use and really making it more central to the user controlling uh, their information and, and what they can access. And from a company's perspective, uh, what are the biggest differences between a Web3 company and a Web2 company? And what are the challenges that only a Web3 company has? So I can jump in here. So I, I think part of it also depends how you set up your Web3 company. So for example, with Doc, we had a token sale. So that means we went out to the community um, and we fundraised from both um, uh, investors and also from individuals. Um, and gave them an opportunity to be a part of DOC and be a part of the community um, and to help fund the project and the vision um, that we are uh, working on and we've been working on. Um, and so that comes with a number of challenges in itself because we are um, essentially, in some ways, a more public company um, where we have a community that is very interested, is supporting us um, both financially and um, by following us, by being interested in what we're doing. Um, and so we have to be a lot more vocal. Um, we have to communicate a lot better about what we're doing um, as a company, doing things like publishing a roadmap, um, obviously having a white paper, having a lot of uh, content information for them to understand um, what we're doing. Um, and then we get a lot of feedback, which can be really great. Um, and it can also be challenging because, you know, we hear the spectrum um, of what people are thinking about what we're doing. Um, so it's it's great because we can really engage um, with people in our community, with supporters of the project. We can um, have, you know, have them participate in different ways um, that, you know, a traditional company might not be able to and actually kind of, you know, do things like voting, for example, with tokens where they they hold an asset that's directly tied to the project. And so they're a lot more kind of invested and interested in that way. Um, but we also get negative feedback and that's fine too. You know, it's, it's challenging what we're doing. There's a lot of ups and downs, you know, and we need to, you know, we need to make sure that um, we can address concerns as well that come from our community. Um, so I'd say that's definitely kind of one of the things that's very, very different with the Web3 company. Um, also add to, I think it's really great because by having that community um, and having that like additional interest in our project, um, a lot of the kind of the community is a lot more informed about what we're doing. So they they understand concepts like Web three. They understand you know you know the kind of general um, uh, you know how blockchain works. They can participate in staking. So there's a lot more engagement too. I think that we see as a Web three company than we might as you know a traditional company. It's kind of more siloed working on their project. I think that's right. I mean, I was going to add to that as well. I think that's a, a really good overview. I think as well, like, I think if you manage the community well, and like you say, there are ups and downs. Um, and I know at DOP, you don't always, you know, we don't always get everything right, but we certainly uh, always try to. But I think that if you get it right on, on those occasions, then you effectively, the community can almost become like an external marketing team for you that are kind of fighting your corner understanding your particular perspective on things and they're much more informed like you say i think it's also useful for like marketing teams so in a like a web two, maybe have a more kind of private company where you kind of operate a lot more stealthily if you want to only kind of releasing the good bits when you want to 
that is good in some respects, but also has limitations where also you can't, it's harder to test out theories as well. Like, so marketing quite often is, um, you don't always know what's going to work. And so sometimes you want to run a like, series of market tests to see like, does certain messages resonate to certain markets? Um, uh, you know, can I make my product appeal more to them than others? And being a kind of more in the public eye allows you to do all that stuff that you, that you really can't do um, as a kind of more private, uh, traditionally kind of web two type company. And are there any other like uh, challenges from the nitty, nitty gritty day to day details, for example, legal challenges because uh, having a company that uh, raised funds through, uh, through crypto must have some sort of specificities um, legally and also accounting. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely a lot more complexities on both of those. I um, mean, you, you spend a lot more paying lawyers and accountants, I think, um, just to <laughs> navigate navigate what those kind of uncertainties might be. But it's um, there are challenges just because this is a new way to run a company and this is a new way to, to fundraise and, you know, have a community. And a lot of um, governments are still establishing, you know, what the regulations are around that, what the guidance is around that. And we, of course, um, try to be uh, very careful, you know, and mindful of, you know, regulatory concerns. We want to do everything as best we can. Um, so, you know, we do have to sometimes though navigate things that aren't always um, the most straightforward. Um, we've set up um, both Doc Labs and the Doc Association in Switzerland just because it's very crypto friendly. There's a lot of um, Web3 and blockchain companies setting up, especially in Zug, um, which is considered Crypto Valley. Um, and then on the accounting side, um, there's a whole host of challenges when it comes to managing um, a crypto treasury. So managing a portion of our, um, our company funds in cryptocurrency and navigating things like, you know, which when should we convert funds? When should we um, hold them? How should we store them? Um, there's a lot of risks around the fluctuations, obviously, with cryptocurrency. So if, if the market's going up, you know, things are great, but we also have to be, you know, be ready that, you know, the market can also go down and um, how that could affect our runway. And so making sure we're managing those aspects, which, you know, traditional, you know, startups would really never probably have to, to think about or worry about um, from that perspective. I think as well, like the, the revenue models as well, Francisco, it, it like, um, and companies in the past, like a lot of uh, Web3 companies or companies in the blockchain space, it's mostly open source now, or, you know, almost, you know, the majority of companies that operate open source um, uh, code bases, you know, where in the past they would have something that's proprietary and they hide everything away and you only can get given access to it and you pay for that access. And so one thing that that, that can make that tricky if you're an open source company um, in kind of the Web2 world, it's very, very difficult to monetize uh, what you build if you're trying to make stuff um, kind of open source. And there's a lot of advantages for making things open source as well, particularly around things like security, um, you know, making sure people have auditability and visibility of how things work. And that all, that, that's all extremely important, and particularly when um, you know, you're running uh, kind of networks and things where, where there's potentially a lot of money involved. You do need security auditors 
and um, kind of individual people to be able to look at your code base and analyze what you're doing. And so it becomes very difficult previously to try and monetize open source software. And typically what that meant for that company is they would have to become a support company. So they would build the, the software. They don't charge for you to use it because it's all open source. So how do I monetize it? Well, I maybe offer you a better service um, to, to actually make sure it runs well within your systems. Um, I make sure if something breaks, I go and fix it for you more quickly than I would otherwise. And what like crypto, uh, having a crypto revenue model or a token revenue model built in, um, which a lot of Web3 companies have and certainly Doc has, is that also and then it gives you a revenue stream, a way to monetize um, that network because we are still businesses at the end of the day. And so that gives you that additional tool to basically to be able to monetize um, open source software. Um, so that's like another important aspect that, that it brings you. Oh, okay. And there is uh, a subset of wet companies. I shouldn't even call them companies. There are more organizations. Could you explain to me what a DAO is? So DAO stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. Um, and the idea is that essentially it could be a group of individuals or maybe small teams kind of participating in running an organization together purely using kind of, you know, decentralized, um, uh, I guess, methodology. So using things like open government systems where um, all the participants can vote together using um, open source um, to, um, to build the technology um, or whatever the project is that they're working on and that everything is done, um, you know, maybe not everything's done on chain, but as transparently as possible. There, there's no, you know, one person or, or a small group of people at the core that's really kind of making the decisions. The decisions as much as possible are made um, by, you know, the different participants in the DAO. And I'll add to that, that DOC um, isn't a DAO, um, at least, you know, not right now. And I think DAOs is, is you know, conceptually and in practice something that's still really kind of being understood it, it's a completely new way to to run an organization to to have a project to coordinate um, with different people and there's a lot of complexity that comes with it and and things like you know things being efficient making sure that decisions are being made in the right way that they're that you know that things are you know understood and communicated well and and so we ourselves, um, we have Doc Labs, which is the uh, core team that's uh, working on Doc's technology. Um, and then we also have the Doc Association, which oversees the Doc network. And we do have um, uh, on-chain governance as part of that. We do have kind of a community. Our, our code is open source. So we, we've definitely embraced a lot of aspects of DAOs. Um, but for the purpose of getting the project, um, you know, really adopted, really, you know, developed all these things. Um, there is still kind of some um, middle ground in terms of having, you know, some centralized governance over that until, you know, it gets to a point where it makes sense to have it be more open and more decentralized um, as the project continues. Elena, one thing that whenever I mention it to my Web2 friends, uh, it blows their minds is the idea that in some DAOs have anonymous or pseudonymous employees. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's a pretty new way of working um, to have, you know, participants or employees 
in an organization that are completely anonymous or pseudonymous. Uh, maybe they have some you know, username or handle they go by. You know, in traditional organization, if you're hiring somebody, you know exactly who they are. You have, you know, you usually see a copy of their identity documents. They fill out information for you. Um, in the case of a DAO, um, it's, it's completely open. So often anybody who um, wants to can either contribute um, in, you know, an open source capacity. They can participate in governance. Um, which is great because, you know, widens, I think, you know, the participation pool, um, but also comes with challenges because these are important decisions that might be, you know, may need to be made. Um, there is, as we've seen through history, <laughs> the recent history, um, there is a lot of room for um, fraudulent or malicious behavior when it comes to DAOs. Um, so uh, one great way of addressing that is actually using verifiable credentials since a verifiable credential can capture uh, information about somebody, and that could look like things like, um, you know, tied to their uh, real life identity, um, but presented in anonymous uh, ways. So what that could mean is, you know, somebody could go and um, receive a KYC document that proves, yes, I have, you know, um, you know, I am <laughs> a real person, um, and I also might not be on any, um, blacklist or, you know, I, I don't have any kind of criminal history and I can present that in an anonymous private way to verify, you know, um, that I could um, participate in a DAO. Um, and a verifiable credential could also be used uh, to capture participation or reputation for somebody in a DAO. So, for example, you know, if I've participated in, in other DAOs um, and contributed in meaningful ways, um, or maybe I've, you know, I've participated in governance um, and voted on you know, measures and shown that I can do that um, and being able to capture that activity without somebody having to reveal who they are um, and be able to preserve their privacy at the same time. And Nick, do you think that becoming a DAO is the way forward for every Web3 company? No, I don't think becoming a DAO is the kind of way forward for everyone or every company. Um, I mean, from my own perspective, I think that the, we can learn a lot from those. And so I think like there's aspects of them that are like interesting that can be adopted. And so things like uh, on-chain governance where changes to maybe how the network operates because most Web3 companies, what they're creating is not necessarily just an app. It is in some cases, but in a lot of cases, it's a whole protocol or a whole platform that they're creating. And so with that comes the ability for uh, stakeholders in the network to participate in how it's run and, and the decisions that's made about the technical decisions are made about the design of the network potentially or, or how it operates or, or changing how it operates and that's done through um, on-chain voting or decentralized governance and typically that is where uh, the token that's inherent with most of these networks is used by the holders of that token to cast votes on uh, kind of referenda that are raised by community members. So someone might want to, for example, increase the validator count. That's the number of nodes that are running inside a network. They might want to increase the number of validators that are running. And so someone would need to use a token and basically propose a change to that way of working and create a referenda in that process. And thereby all the other token holders would effectively vote um, I or nay um, as to whether that's going to be accepted and the majority is the one that's carried forward 
um, and that weighting, the majority is um, how many tokens are put forward by each of the voters, not just the number of votes. Um, so that's the way that that can work. Um, so I think that stuff like that is really, really useful. And because we are running decentralized um, organizations with decentralized communities, it's a really, really good way to give everyone a voice. But I also don't think it works well in all cases, um, you know, because not everything can be done on chain or it's, you know, like non-technical things, um, maybe where there's domain expertise required, um, you wouldn't necessarily, and it become quite kind of slow and cumbersome if you're needing to get every little thing uh, voted on um, and run through some kind of on-chain voting process that can take many weeks, depending on how it's set up. Uh, sometimes you want to be able to be moving more quickly or more agile. So, so I think there is a lot of good that can come from DAOs, but I wouldn't say ditch everything that we've known for the couple of hundred years to this point. Um, I think it can complement what we have, but uh, certainly shouldn't replace it. Uh, Nick, you were mentioning that um, there are many things that Web3 companies could keep from the ways of managing and govern uh, Web2 companies. And what things can Web2 companies learn from Web3? I think a big part, Francisco, would be like kind of getting used to that, being more in the public eye. Um, so I think building communities is going to be a really big uh, learning curve um, that that uh, Web3 companies um, we'd, or Web2 companies could benefit from doing. Um, and so that's, I guess, being able to communicate your vision what you're trying to do and how you're trying to do it. And then really bringing a group of people, like-minded people along with you for the ride, recognizing that some people will fall off the ride and become disenchanted with the idea. Um, but for the most part, if you can stay true to your vision, uh, that, that most people will stay there. Um, and then really being able to use and harness all the kind of different social tools that we have to really grow communities as well and getting used to those um, so I think that would be one of the biggest things uh, that, that people can do. But like you say, I don't think like I think a lot of the things that that uh, that we use to kind of build um, kind of effective Web2 companies remain the same. Uh, you know, so still things like good recruitment, people in process and all of that stuff, making sure you've got enough money in the bank and funding those things are still very, very important. Um, but there are a kind of few differences, I think, as well, having like a a community out there enables you to also test um, your products. And I, again, this is something that has been talked about with Web2, particularly at Silicon Valley, but it's basically ship, you know, quickly and often. Um, and don't be afraid, like don't make perfection the enemy of, of the good. And so ship very quickly um, in order that you can get the feedback from your community about where is my product good? Where is it weak? What can I change? rather than the organization internally trying to wrestle with this concept of, of will they like it, will they not like it, and why won't they like it? The best thing to do is just to bite the bullet and, and put, put your product out there. Um, and I think having a, a kind of large and um, interested uh, community, it really lends itself well to that. We, we're seeing a lot of people joining uh, Web3, and I'm not just talking about people buying crypto or buying NFT, this, uh, NFTs, there's a lot of people joining Web3 companies. Do you have any tips for someone and it doesn't have to be a developer, could be a marketing person, it's an HR person, etc. 
that wants to join Web3 but has no idea how to get in? So my recommendation um, for people who want to get into Web3 is to find ways to get involved um, outside of just uh, looking for work. Um, so that could look like things like participating in crypto communities and following projects, um, buying and transacting with crypto, um, even if it's a really small amount, um, maybe contributing to open source uh, projects. Um, and, th and that could be as a developer, but that could also be in other aspects like with marketing, um, like being part of an ambassador program, which um, Doc does have. Um, and then that way, um, I think it, they'll get a sense of a lot of, um, you know, the different unique aspects that come with Web3, both in terms of the technology, but I think also the culture. Um, Web3 has, uh, companies tend to have a very open culture. I think everyone pretty much understands this is a new, really big, exciting thing that we're working on. There's a lot of energy. Um, and I think understanding those aspects of it are really important when joining a Web3 company as well. And is it uh, that participation in the ecosystem, is it something that you value a lot in the hiring process? Like, is it something you look for specifically if that person has prior interest in the area, et cetera? Yeah, yeah, I tend, you know, I pretty much, I think, always uh, almost ask about it. Um, and depending on the role, you know, that interest doesn't have to be, you know, something really big. Um, but I think some basic level of understanding or genuine kind of interest in what we're doing um, translates back to them, you know, being excited about Doc as a project and Doc as a company to work uh, on as well. I think as well, like when you're hiring somebody, I mean, you, are, you are kind of judging like based on like they're fit for the role now, but like you really care about retention as well when you're bringing someone on, because of course, if, if you were to, to bring someone on and of course they, they could be familiar with Web3, but every project has its own nuance. They use blockchains if, if they have them differently. Um, they have different use cases, different sectors. And so, and these nuances require kind of an onboarding time and educational process um, that, that can take many months and longer. And so you're, you're constantly concerned about kind of retention. Like, is this person, can I see them still wanting to be interested here in a year, 18 months or two years time? And so that's why it's really good. Well, certainly I would um, kind of give like extra marks for someone who's genuinely interested in the space. So although there's people kind of looking to Web3 thinking, I've heard that it sounds quite interesting. I'll apply for a job. Like what I'd be looking for is someone that is kind of has demonstrable interest, even if they haven't worked in the space, when you're speaking to them, you can tell they're excited and passionate about um, like Web3 and owning their own private keys or whatever that means to them, crypto, NFTs. Um, as long as they're kind of passionate and excited by it, um, they're probably likely to be quite good at it as well because it interests them. Um, so like anything, if you're interested in it, you'd be good at it. If, if it... If it's something that you think you should do or it's something that you want to do for like a work thing, then um, that's probably going to be less appealing and that will probably come across um, at any interview process that you go through. So I think the first thing as well for me would be if you want to work in the Web3 space, that's great, but really work in it because you're passionate about it. If you're not, then probably go for something that you'd be more passionate about. Thank you. I think that's the episode. Thank you very much. I feel much more enlightened about how it is to manage a web3 company thank you nick thank you very much elena and see you all in the next episode